0: Welcome to History Makers. I'm Matt Prater. Each week on History Makers, we interview guests, some well-known and some not well-known. But all alike, they have an interesting story to tell. This week, Sheridan Vojzi takes over the interview seat. Take it away, Sheridan. Well, he's a household name, internationally recognised as uh, part of the creme de la creme of the jazz world. He's played for royalty and world leaders. He's toured with Ray Charles. He opened the Sydney Olympic Games. Dizzy Gillespie has called him the best of the best. Ray Brown describes him as a genius and around about now, James Morrison, you should be blushing.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, I'd like to meet him. <laughs> Sounds fantastic. <laughs> it's great to have you. Thank you. It's great been you. a pretty big week for you, I believe. Yes, actually, it's been a big week and you go, actually, this month has been a really big month and I think about the year and I go, actually, it's been, and so on and so on. I'm having a pretty big life.
0: <laughs> yes. Well, it is, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, no. you, were, you, were, you formed your first band at nine, you were playing yeah. in the
1: clubs by 13. Is that legal? Um, we're not sure, but it doesn't matter now, does it? For <laughs> <laughs> history. Now, I think what we had at the time was some sort of dispensation. As long as I stayed on the stage, quite seriously, through the whole night and didn't go into the club proper then I, I was okay because there's no licensed premises on stage. Is that right? And so when the band took a break, because they were all much older, and well, when they'd take a break and go into the club, I'd just stay on the stage, you know? playing a solo allowed. piano. That's yeah, funny. So. <laughs> wow. Well, it's been quite a quite a life. And of
0: course, we're talking mm. the past. You've still got a few years ahead of you, I'm oh, sure. I think I've
1: got a little longer to go yet. And, <laughs> you know, I reckon I'm only, I could only be a third of the way through, surely. Well, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> playing with Ray Charles, that must have been a highlight for you. Oh, it's great. It was, uh, it was are wonderful we, we spent a, a few months uh, maybe three months going right around the world it's interesting because when you first i mean when you hear ray charles it's wonderful and then when you first hear him live it's great and then when you're first on stage with him in the band fantastic but nonetheless i still expected well we're going to do this every night so no matter how great it is you know after 10 nights 20 nights 30 you know or something it'll wear off and you'll be just like okay now we're doing the gig and you know at the end of three months having heard it every night He'd start to sing. It would be exactly the same as the first night. The same feeling. You go, oh, listen to that. Yeah.
0: But there's been others too, BB King and Mm -hmm. the Dizzy Gillespies of the world, Mm. and um, George Benson. Um, Yeah. Anyone that you could say has been your favourite, apart from, say, Ray Charles.
1: Oh no. Even Ray, I can't say favourite because then what what, what do I say about Dizzy? What do I say Uh, about no? So, you know, it's they're all different, and. they're all. Uh, they're, Ray Charles is my favourite. Ray Charles. Yeah, you know?
0: Okay. <laughs> Nicely put. Yeah.
1: No, they're just they're just wonderful. I've been really lucky to work with you know most of my record collection, is how I think of it, which is just uh, fantastic.
0: Yeah. I often wondered what it must have been like for you doing the opening fanfare there for the Sydney Olympic Games.
1: <laughs> Do you ever get nervous? And was that a moment where you did? no 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 um i get excited like i'm thinking wow this is a big gig i mean opening of the games hometown hundred thousand people standing in front of you i don't know how many you know take your pick as to how many watching on tv They, you know Mm. half a billion people or something and and so yeah it doesn't get much bigger than that but at the same time all i had to do is blow the trumpet which is what i do and so um it's, it's an interesting thing, nerves, because I know some wonderful musicians who get nervous, not because they're starting out. People who've been in the business for years still get nervous. It's just part of how they are as a performer. Um, it's not something that um, I've ever had to deal with. And I know this is, in one way, a silly thing to say, but in another, it's a very real thing to say. If you could pick up the trumpet at home in your bedroom and play that opening fanfare and play it correctly and not, not miss notes or whatever, well, it's the same trumpet same lips in front of all the people. But it's not the same context. I know. And what people would say is, yes, but the consequences of, of, of missing something in your bedroom are small. And the consequences of missing it, you know, on live television around the world, the at ga- the opening games, you never live it down. But I, wanna, I don't want to sound egotistical. I don't want to sound like I'm blowing my own trumpet. <laughs> boom, <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Thank you. <laughs> you do the boom, booms. I will. Tch. But um, for those consequences to be considered, there has to be a possibility that you'll miss the note. For me... Playing is a joyful thing and I, I sense the, the gift of music and so I don't think, oh, what if this goes wrong? It won't. Not because I'm some sort of hero, because of what I'm doing. I'm, doing, I'm, I'm, I'm using my gift and I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, and I know I can. Hmm. And so the consequences of playing in front of the uh, people at the Olympics or in the bedroom are exactly the same. But so, there's
0: a lot of people that would wish that they could uh, say those very same things you've just said, James. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I guess, look, I think confidence is an interesting thing. If your confidence is based on, no, I know I'm really good, I've done a lot of practice, I, 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 if I keep starting with I, then it's all up to you. I'm starting to feel nervous. you know what i mean if your confidence is based on a belief that this is what you're supposed to be doing and this is you know part of what you're here for there's this great sense of relief of like no this is what i'm supposed to do i wouldn't be led to do something like this if i wasn't supposed to be doing it then the confidence you have is based on something bigger than you all of a sudden it's much more solid
0: Hmm. nicely put when was that moment when you realized this is what i'm called to do
1: I think there were there was an epiphany. I was to say there were epiphanies because or epiphanies is it? <laughs> um, but there was never a moment a moment where I realised this is what I'm supposed to do. There was a moment where I realised I could do it. Um, there was a moment where I decided I wanted to. When I was very young and I first heard um, some jazz, I went, oh, I want to play that. I want to do that. So there was a decision. But it was more over many years you realise rather than having a moment you sort of go gee, I'm probably supposed to be doing this because it's kind of working out really well. <laughs> and, and then, of course, more and more, once that idea's in your head, more and more evidence you know, comes to support that issue. Yeah. And then over years, more of a gentle but deeper realisation, I know why I wanted to and I know why I could because I'm supposed to. What was the first song you mastered? Um, you're assuming that I've mastered one. <laughs> <laughs> I am. had to say that. Um, look, the first song that I learned to play that I recall, apart from your little sort of, you know... um, Chopsticks. Uh, Can you do... Quick sample. sample. Yeah, please. Apart from this was one of the early ones. (laughs) That's one of the early ones you learn on the trumpet. I could teach you that. Yeah. Um, But (laughs) real song that I remember that I played over many years, the first one I learnt was the Basin Street Blues, which is... And the band answers, you could sing that part. more to that one, yeah, too. It was absolutely beautiful. But, um, yeah, that was the first one I... Because it was the first jazz piece I heard. And um, I said, oh, I want to play jazz. So I learned that song.
0: Music has such an ability to move, change moods, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. In so many different ways. Mm-hmm. Do you think it can go even deeper and, and even affect the spirit, touch the spirit in some way?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I, not only can it, it does. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. As beautiful, and I don't want to take anything away from them, an avid reader... And um, I love words, and I love reading, and well-written things can really move you and really touch you very deeply. Um, but there's one difference there with that and music, and that is that there's a um, an intellect thing that must take place when I read words. I have to first I have to do the reading, but secondly, I have to understand the words and understand the sentence, and then the comprehension of it is when this wonderful dawning of the meaning or the movement within you happens. Um, Music bypasses that whole first process. If I play music to you, you don't need to understand it. You don't even need to know what I'm playing. You certainly don't need to know the notes, whereas you do need to know the letters, in the words. You don't have to understand the form of the song, like a sentence. You can just sit there and let the music happen to you, and what it does is it speaks to you emotionally, directly, without involving your intellect. You can choose to involve it and start analysing the song or thinking of things about the song, or, gee, that's a fast song, that's that's an intellectual judgement. But emotionally, um, music can go to you directly. If I've got a feeling and I want to communicate it to you, and I, now I'm giving you the definition of what I think a musician is, it's someone who can take that feeling and put it into musical sounds. That's what A musician's not someone who can play the trumpet. That's not a musician, that's a trumpeter. A musician is someone who can take a feeling, something I want to convey, and turn it into musical sounds. There's... Every chance that you're going to get the feeling from those musical sounds that that was the 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 reason I played it, and so um, of course then not only can it move your emotions and create moods because that's more of a surface thing, but actually I go straight to a spiritual thing. If I'm feeling something, and that's one of the things about music. People have often you know over the years talked about what's good and bad music, and you know and of course mostly when people have that conversation they're talking about taste. What they're really saying is what I like. When someone says, oh, that, that you know, rock and roll is mm. awful music, if some you know, older person says that, what they mean is I don't like it. Here's the thing I think that makes it good, in inverted commas, music or not, is why it's being played, not what genre it is. What feeling did I have? If I hate someone and I write a song about that, or even without words, just play with that feeling, it's not good music no matter how well it's played, but if I have a feeling that I want to convey to you that we would call, you know, generally would accept as a good feeling, as something positive, as something to offer, um, not beat you over the head with, then provided I can convey that, it's good music. So um, no, it's, oh, there's a long answer to the question I don't even remember now. But um, no, you said it can it move us spiritually. Absolutely, yeah, and, can. and that's, that's why.
0: And that leads us to the gospel collections that you've released, now two albums. If music can touch us spiritually, could the gospel genre and certainly the, f- the meaning and the form and the very essence of the lyrics even go a step deeper as well?
1: Yeah, what it does is, whether it's deeper, I would say it focuses the message. I mean, if I play with a general wonderful joy of being alive and of the gift of life and of you know um, my place spiritually in in the universe um, and I play the Basin Street Blues, it'll be a wonderful feeling and you'll get that feeling and you'll feel that joy. But if I specifically, this is what I think of, focus the message more than just that general joy of being alive and my gratitude for the gift we've got. And I say, no, specifically, I want to talk about um, this aspect of the church that celebrates that. And I pick a hymn, and I, it doesn't matter whether I turn it into a jazz number or not. If I pick a hymn, that you know that hymn and you know what it means. Now I focus the message, that's more. And as such, perhaps rather than saying deeper, it becomes more potent like anything does that's more focused.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about uh, some of the deeper aspects of your life. Son of a Methodist preacher. Yes. You were a PK, what they might call a preacher's kid. What was oh, that like?
1: PK, I haven't heard that. No. Um, what was that like? Well, it was interesting from the fact that everything, of course, revolved around the church, unlike perhaps some of my friends who, well, firstly, might not have gone to church at all, but even the ones that did, church was on Sunday. And then it was over. Mm. Um, but not for us, of course. It was all the time because Dad being um, the minister, there'd be various things going on at home and people coming over and he'd ministering to people and sometimes would go along with him. And um, a Bible study class, of course, would be in our lounge room and so on. And uh, so would choir practice and so would everything else. <laughs> and um, living in the parsonage sort of right behind the church in a country town uh, meant that most of our time was spent there. And um, this was, um, to a young boy, both a blessing and a curse. Of course, the, the blessing was that um, it meant that um, church life was part of life. It wasn't this thing that just happened one day. And there's all sorts of good sides to that. Not the least of which, remember, to a young lad that's not thinking of the spiritual implications, just thinking of, you know, everyday practicalities. Is mm-hmm. on Sunday, uh, my dad was the preacher. And so, of course, when you're hanging out with the other kids, I sort of, you know, it's like, it's like going in, going to work with your dad. You know, it's kind of special. I mean, I did it every week. Um, um, the the curse side to a young lad like that was exactly the same Everything revolved around the church So if you want to do something else Your friends say, we're doing this on Sunday I mean, just forget it yeah. It's not even worth asking yes. You can't not turn up to church when your dad's the minister And did you ever feel a pressure that you were the minister's kid and you Oh had yes, to really of course yeah, well, you'd, you'd be looked at like that And if a teacher wanted to sort of bring you into line in class They could also mention, I didn't expect that from you <laughs> And uh, I don't think your father would be very happy to hear about this, you know, and all that sort of thing. So, that was the drag part. said, oh, why can't my dad be, you know, like working down at the railroad or something? And then they would expect it of me, whatever yeah. it was I'd just done.
0: For some people, when they grow up in that environment, the message of Christianity, the message of Jesus, to some degree, well, it's there because they're around it so much, but then it's almost as if, when I get to a particular age, I need to get out there and break free from this. I need to live my own life. Did you have a rebellion time? I look, what was it it that wasn't whole so much inventory? that
1: I needed to get away because, as you've already said, from the age of 13, I was playing in nightclubs. So, I mean, when I turned up to church... Which well, must have been a scandal in the church. Absolutely. <laughs> well, um, I was looked as an, evan- Lana, as an evangelist. Um, <laughs> um, but, I mean, by the time I got to church Sunday morning at that age, i just spent Friday and Saturday night playing in nightclubs, so it was nothing to break out from. I was out there. No, it was, a, it was a different feeling. And what it was, it had always been there and always been such a part of life. It wasn't special. It wasn't like someone who just goes to church Sunday morning or perhaps doesn't go at all and then one day has this epiphany or suddenly realises the whole thing. It was just a given. And so in a way, it was familiarity, you know, making it less special. That in one way made it I was nothing to run away from, but in another way made it less exciting.
0: So was there a personal moment of commitment for you to, to the person of Jesus?
1: Yes, but it was again, maybe because of the uh, because of the the situation of being the preacher's kid, it wasn't just once you'd have you'd have this realisation, this commitment, and it wasn't that you fell by the wayside. You were still there then, but then it would come again. You'd realise it all over again, but stronger in a new light. And so it happened a few times. And in fact, when I was nineteen, I was well and truly a jazz musician. I'd been touring with Don Burrows for three years in his band, and so it wasn't just like playing at a local club. I was you know, um, really, a jazz musician in that setting. Then imagine what it was like when I said, "Okay, I know what I want to be. I'm going to be a preacher." <laughs> um, that was at nineteen. That's a bit surprising. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was like uh, even even people who would be delighted, like mum and dad said, "Now are you sure that's a good idea?" Because <laughs> they could see that you know um, uh, my ministry was in music, you know, and um, uh, so I, I did I did a lay preachers course and I started pre- preaching. Sunday night. What was
0: your first message on? Do you remember?
1: Um, I took the opportunity to preach to my peers, to other teenagers in the church. My first message was to all the teenagers, and along the lines of that we all thought we knew everything, because of course anyone who's 17, 18 or whatever does know everything, (laughs) and that perhaps we didn't. (laughs) And uh, perhaps there were still some that knew more than us, particularly um uh, if we were bothered to look in the Bible, and so um yeah. yeah, that was the first message, but then I think it was a gradual realization, then rather than a moment, a gradual realization I can actually do a whole lot more with the trumpet in my hands. I have to say, without blowing my own trumpet that 's your boom ch um, that I thought I was pretty good in the pulpit. Yes, <laughs> but problem um, is nobody else A little you. bit of the gift, the gab. Um, but um, but no, that I could do so much more. There's a reason why people become affected so much when I play. Um, and and I don't create the music. I wouldn't be so presumptuous. I'm the person whom the music comes through, so everyone else can hear it. How would you describe your faith these days? Well, there's an interesting question. Hmm. How does one describe? Something mm.
0: like Your relationship that. with God, would you say, would you describe it in relational terms, a father and a son, or a friend to a friend? Would you,
1: well, how would you describe it? It's interesting. I, I'd have to begin answering that question um, by saying I don't describe it in my own mind. It's not something for description. And one of the reasons for that, and I wouldn't liken it then to other relationships, and one of the reasons for that is that all of those things for me, start to place limits in my mind on it. As soon as I can describe it, I'm boxing it in because that's how we describe something. I look around at the creation and I say, well, there isn't any part of this that isn't part of God because if there is, if I can go somewhere, if I can go to a dreadful slum somewhere or where there's a war or wherever and say, well, God's not here or that God didn't make this bit, well, then who did? Hmm. It's, it doesn't make... It, for me, that's not part of my belief. the The creation... Which is everything is made by God. And that doesn't mean God wants the war to be happening. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying it's all part of the creation. Mm. And in the same sort of way, my relationship has to be as all encompassing as that. The bad days, the good days, the, the 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 thoughts, the frustrations, you know, as well as the joys and the and the ecstasies. As soon as I and I'm like anyone else, I want to define things. I want to understand them. But I have a suspicion, a little bit of a theory of mine, that the The really important things can't be intellectualised or understood. A scientist can tell us now stuff about the quantum physics and quantum dynamics level and stuff I've been reading about lately. I'm interested in all that nonlinear dynamics and all this. They can describe things you wouldn't believe. And yet, say, okay, so let's just have a quick talk about love now. What have we got? What Mm -hmm. measurements have we got? Forget it. Mm. There's no proof it even exists and there never will be. Because as soon as you can prove it, you can define it, and you can limit it, and it's unlimited. And so in the same sort of way, I've got a feeling, and once anything I can prove, describe, define... you automatic, ...automatically means it's not that important.
0: James Morrison, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, mate. JamesMorrison.com.au will get you uh, details of all the albums, including those uh, Gospel Collection albums, one and two. It's out now. History that brings us to the end of this week's show. Thanks to Sheridan for filling in the interview seat and thanks to James Morrison for joining us. You can listen to this interview again or any of our other interviews. Simply go to historymakersradio.com.